Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, here with Megan McLean, SVP of the Special Olympics USA Games 2022 in Orlando, Florida. Excited to have her on. Uh, we recently had on Amy Wise uh, earlier, or I should say later in the uh, year of 2020, now early here in 2021. And um, Megan's going to talk a little bit about her experience so far in the nonprofit space of sports. Um, certainly a little bit different than maybe a team side experience or uh, what have you within the industry. And we also want to kind of dive into what's behind the passion uh, of working within Special Olympics. And uh, Megan's got a unique story. Uh, we'll touch on it a little bit. So welcome to the podcast, Megan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, let's just get started on there had to have been that kind of aha moment for you to start off your career. Uh, you went to the University of Delaware as a student athlete playing basketball, um, you know, started off as a sport management major, as we were chatting. And it's one of those things where sometimes you just switch your path, right? There's something that happens one day and you figure out, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go instead of uh, left, I'm going to go right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, so I mean, I played basketball at the University of Delaware and, and played a lot of sports when I was younger, really zeroed in on basketball in high school and sports drove my life. It was, I love sports, always have. And naturally, like a lot of student athletes do, uh, wanted to work in sports. Um, so started in that sport management major. And um, I actually had a teammate, uh, Elena Deladon. She, uh, she plays in the WNBA now, was my teammate in college. And it's, it's pretty well known. She has a sister with pretty severe disabilities. Um, and she invited me to go volunteer at her sister's adult day training center. Um, and I went there and it was really my first up close uh, experience with people with intellectual disabilities. And I, my eyes were opened, my heart was opened, and I really felt a, a call um, to do something to uh, help people with intellectual disabilities. So actually, that next week, I went in uh, to my academic advisor's office, and I, I changed my major to um, early ch childhood education with a focus on, on special education. So the, the dream there at that point was to uh, get into teaching people with disabilities. And I really wanted to, to be in at that early stage because I think those are such important years in anybody's life. Um, so I, I finished out that uh, degree and I went through student teaching and realized at that point that um, I still wanted to be in that space, but that teaching probably wasn't for me. Um, so it took me a little while to, to figure out what I was gonna do. And I ended up um, working in, uh, randomly working in commercial real estate development for a very short time. And then at that point, um, that same teammate, Elena, had been drafted by the Chicago Sky uh, to play her, her rookie contract in Chicago. So I actually went there and, and sort of served as her manager and did a lot of her day-to-day um, -day things and thought that would get, in my, get my foot back in the door um, in the sports world. And through that, had my surprisingly really my first exposure to Special Olympics. Um, Elena was, was really passionate about that. And that's when I kind of realized that that could be a career working for Special Olympics. And it seemed like a perfect combination of my passion for sports, my passion for helping people with intellectual disabilities. So those two things kind of came together. And I asked the contact I had at Special Olympics International, where are their jobs right now? And there was one in, in Pittsburgh and in Florida. And um, the one in Pittsburgh was a higher level position that I definitely was not qualified for. So I applied for both anyway, <laughs> and I um, 
actually interviewed through Skype. It was before the Zoom days and I got the job here in Florida and moved to Orlando where I've been for the past seven years working in the Special Olympics organization. And in terms of Special Olympics, I mean, it's one of those things that um, obviously not humongous organizations at the state level, right? From a, a resource and staff perspective, everyone kind of wears a lot of different hats. Um, you, you, especially in Florida, you got a lot of ground to cover. So definitely a lot of uh, different areas per se of, of the state, um, different regions. Can you just break down for our listeners a little mm -hmm. bit of how a Special Olympics organization works and what maybe kind of the different components are? Obviously, there's a fundraising component, there's events, um, administratively speaking, uh, quite a bit there. So what's the breakdown look like? Yeah, so in a state program, so Special Olympics is a, a global organization and Special Olympics International governs the, the world. And then that's broken down into regions, which Special Olympics North America is obviously the region that the, the U.S. falls into. And then really each state has its own program and each of those is a separate 501c3. So it's really an, an independent organization that depends on sanctioning from Special Olympics International. So each program looks really different in the way they operate in size and in, in resources. In um, Florida, obviously a really big state um, and, and more resources than some, but it's really broken down into regions. And then the, the, the first touch point for an athlete is their county level. So we actually have boots on the ground in every county representing us so that an athlete can come to the organization, train and compete locally at the county level um, and then they have the ability to advance to a regional competition. And then annually, the top level of competition is the state championships for each sport. And my role when I was in Florida was really to pr uh, produce and manage those state competitions. So we had 12 major state championships a year. So that's, that's sort of the sports arm, but there's obviously the development arm also that is the kind of the motor that allows sports to do what they need to do. So we had a full development department there that ran both peer-to-peer -peer fundraising, business-to-business, -business, um, special events. We have a really big um, golf tournament every year that raises a lot of money. Um, but there is a piece of Special Olympics that um, really two pieces that, that aren't as well known to people who even know a little bit about the organization. And that's, there's a, there's a health aspect. So Special Olympics has their healthy athletes program. Uh, and it was started under the premise that a healthy athlete is a better athlete. So there's an entire part of the organization that focuses on not only getting athletes um, in front of doctors, eye doctors, getting them glasses if they need them, podiatrists, making sure they have the right size shoes, but also in educating uh, practitioners on how to um, treat a, a patient that has disabilities. And it's something as simple as we have some athletes who go to a doctor's appointment with a caretaker and the caretaker, uh, the doctor talks to the caretaker, not to the athlete about their health. So it's educating them. So that's a, a whole big arm of the organization as well. And then athlete leadership, we train our athletes to take on leadership roles in communications and technology and things like that. So there's a lot of moving parts, but sport really is the, the center and the core of, of what Special Olympics does. And from just a storytelling component, I mean, the athletes can range from all sorts of different ages, right? There's different age groups, um, even different yeah. sports that uh, are maybe played differently than, um, than others in terms of just like what your normal rec league sports would look like. Uh, what are a few that that you got to maybe learn or pick up along the way um, yeah. or an event that you had to plan that you're like, man, I, I, this is the first time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, the staples and sort of the, one of the coolest things about Special Olympics is offering um, competition to all ability levels and really all ages. So it starts at age two with our young athletes program. And at that point, those athletes are really just learning basic motor skills, learning to take turns, the social skills that they'll need to have when they turn eight and are able to start competing officially. Um, and then there's no age limit. So we have athletes um, who compete in sports into their eighties. Um, so as long as they want to be involved in competing, they can. And the other part of that is the range of sports is for a lot of different ability levels. So we have track and field and swimming and the, the team sports that you think of basketball, soccer, but we also have bowling, which is a little bit more accessible. Um, and I would say that my, I, so I started in February of 2014 and the first event that I was a part of was basketball, which was my, I was completely comfortable in that space. The second event was equestrian um, and it was brand new to me. So I had to really educate myself. Luckily more supported by incredible volunteers from each sport that they're the experts that run that sport. But um, gymnastics was new. Um, surfing was new from, from a competitive standpoint. So Special Olympics is incredible in that by offering different sports, there's a, there's a place for everybody, but also just within the sport. If you look at track and field, um, we have athletes running the half marathon. We have athletes who, who are really, really fast in the 100 meter, but we also have an event that's a 25 meter walk and that we have athletes that train and that is their event and that's challenging for them um, and they get to compete in that event. Uh, at the USA Games, we won't feature all of those events um, just because there's so many, but it's a place where no matter the ability level of the athlete, there's a, there's a way for them to have a really meaningful competition within the infrastructure of the organization. So let's talk about picking those sports and then you got to find the venue. Um, luckily, you're at Disney Worldwide of Sports, but and they've got quite a bit. But as you think about where the events are going to be played, how they're accessible, um, you know, we're also in difficult times now and that presents different challenges, but as you think about how you go and pick out the events and then again, it's that dissemination of regional competitions, state competitions, et cetera, to kind of bring it all to life. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot to organize. Yeah, it is a, a, it's a massive operation for this event. We'll have 20, 20 sports. Um, if, if you include esports, which is something that we're focused on right now, because a lot of people have shifted to that virtual style of competition. Um, but as far as selecting the sports, there's a ton of, of really research and, and data analysis that goes into it. Uh, we want to make sure that as a representation of Special Olympics in the United States, we're displaying sports that are important to our athletes, that are popular for our athletes. So we look at the sports that, that are offered and sanctioned by Special Olympics International and given Florida, some of them immediately come off the list, skiing, snowboarding, those those get knocked off pretty quickly, but then we study the data. How many athletes across the North America region are competing in these sports? We engage in a process with each program where they tell us what they're interested in competing in at these games. Um, and then we, with all of that information, make some determinations and then immediately at that point, move into finding those, those venues. Um, and Orlando is one of the most, um, I think, incredible places when you're looking for sports venues because there's so many different options. So we'll have a, the core of our sports um, at Wide World of Sports. And then we've been able to identify other venues um, for all of our sports that are no more than about 30 minutes away. 
um, on a bus for those athletes, which is uh, really important to us because athletes have been surveyed after other USA games and maybe had to be on a bus for an hour to get to the swimming pool or an hour and a half to get to a venue that really impacts their experience. So because Orlando has so much to offer, we're able to keep it very centralized and, and improve the athlete experience that way. As you think about your experience uh, as a student athlete and then working with all of the different athletes um, now, regardless of the sport, uh, what state they're from, right? And, and continuing to, um, you know, get better from not only the healthy athlete standpoint, but also what they're competing in. What's one of the lessons that you've learned from athletes you've worked with that maybe you didn't learn as a student athlete, but you learned from working with those athletes? Yeah, I, I think that um, what our athletes have taught me the most is, is if you watch our athletes train and compete, for them, it's so much more about the process. And it's so much more about having the opportunity to train and just be given, being given the chance to showcase their skills. It's not so much about um, the end result of what place you finish in. And that's not to say that these events are really, really competitive. And our athletes, it's not, everybody doesn't walk away with a gold medal. Um, there's true competition that's happening. So our athletes are really focused on, they want to win that gold medal, but their real focus is, is in the process. And what I've also learned is just their appreciation for the opportunity, something that I, I was in youth sports from the minute I could walk. And um, we have some athletes who, depending on, on where they are in life and how old they are, never had that opportunity until they were an adult. So I'm um, just appreciating the, the opportunities that, that I had and that I know a lot of other people have, and then being able to work for an organization that's working to provide those opportunities for everyone has been awesome. We mentioned at the beginning that Special Olympics nonprofit, um, where you have kind of the individual 501c3 at each state level, what's maybe one of the big, biggest misconceptions of working in the nonprofit space? Because uh, sometimes people see nonprofit and they're like, oh, there's no money, right? Or yeah. whatever, whatever the case might be, whatever the stipulation might be, there's got to be some kind of misconceptions and, and obviously fantastic things about working for nonprofits. Yeah, I think one of the most common misconceptions that I have, have run into in the nonprofit space is that it's sort of a, a feel-good space and there's not a lot of accountability and you're doing something good for people. So it's, it's relaxed. And um, my experience hasn't been that way. And I appreciate that. It's been very much, uh, you're held accountable and uh, it's treated like a true business. And that's been really important to me because I just want to be held accountable and want to be challenged. So it's definitely not a space where just because you're doing something good for people, um, it's very relaxed. So I think that's a common misconception. Um, definitely, there are less resources than there are if you work in the professional sports world. Um, and the, the, what comes along with that is, is wearing a lot of different hats. Very rarely do you have just one specific role within an organization um, because there's so much happening and, and the resources are what they are. And that has been really a blessing for me because I've been able to learn so many aspects of business that I wouldn't have been able to learn if I went into um, a for-profit company from the beginning, because I think I would have been more focused on one specific thing. And uh, people, obviously really, really rewarding work. Um, but beyond that, it's just the people that in having conversations with our athletes, it's just a perspective check every single day. We have athletes that work for us right now 
um, and we're constantly leaning on them to guide our planning. And to be able to have that every single day, have that perspective check makes every day a little bit better. And it really is a blessing to be able to have that every day. No, that's great. I, you know, I, I think about um, all of the different types of nonprofits around the, you know, the, not only the country, but the world. And there's got to be some sort of community, not only within Special Olympics, but also outside of Special Olympics that you lean on to get, you know, different uh, best practices or, um, you know, ideas from. What are some of the things that maybe or organizations you've learned from that, that do things really, really well as well? Yeah, I, I, we, there's a lot of people out there doing good all the time because we all have the same goal to improve the lives, provide opportunities for the population that we serve. Um, and I think even within the, the sports world, there's a lot of organizations that, that we lean on for support. If you think about the Best Buddies organization, really, really similar mission to what we're doing. Um, ours has a sports focus and theirs is more of just a, a holistic life focus, but we learn from them a lot. And then a lot of the specific disabilities have organizations. So Autism Speaks is an organization that, that we learn from all the time because autism is becoming more and more prevalent and they're experts in that. So we really lean on, on those organizations to help educate ourselves on what's happening. And then really trying to partner with just local sport uh, nonprofits that can support our sport planning as well. For someone who wants to get into the nonprofit space, you know, we, we touched on your story a little bit at the beginning of kind of falling into it, right. And having that aha moment for yourself with Elena and, and your experiences, but for someone who's in school right now and trying to figure out what they want to do, or maybe they're searching for their passion or they're trying to just find that volunteer opportunity to maybe find that aha moment or that spark what would your insights or advice be in regards to that? Yeah, I, I think in the question, you touched on the answer a little bit. It, and it's just really just start volunteering. Um, I think just about Special Olympics and, and the way to get in is just, you know, find your local program. Um, and I know in Florida, every county has a program and they're always looking for volunteers, specifically volunteers that understand sport. Um, and there's so many levels of volunteering, depending on the time commitment that you have. It, it might be one weekend a year um, when people are having in-person events to go to that event and help support but it can be as big of a commitment as being a coach and coaching a team for a season and, and special olympics is always looking for sport-minded people really they're special explored is serving sixty thousand athletes right now and they're constantly growing and i know that's the case across the country programs are growing and they need coaches um, and if somebody with sport knowledge doesn't step up it's going to be a grandparent, a neighbor, a parent of the coach who, who may not understand that sport and may not be able to serve the athletes as well as somebody who has that knowledge. So it's finding how you can be plugged into the organization from a volunteer perspective and starting there because um, there's a lot of opportunity and then seeing what, what that becomes through the journey of volunteering. In our episode with Amy, we touched on kind of how to get involved with the, uh, you know, the, the USA games as a whole, right? And it's such a, there's such a big lift in terms of how many sports athletes days etc mm -hmm. um when you think about though moving forward right you, you have these big games they go on and then all the athletes go back to their wherever they're from right yeah. and yeah. it's kind of this big moment and then there's there's this okay the process starts again as you mentioned kind of that all right we're training for the next one mm -hmm. um how do you help some of the athletes get through that process because it is this this humongous buildup, right? And then afterwards, it's kind of like, okay, what's next? 
Yeah, it's that's a great question. And I, I saw it when I when the games were in Seattle in 2018, I was the head of delegation for Special Olympics Florida. So we brought a few hundred athletes to Florida to compete and they knew they were chosen to attend about a year out. So they had a year focused, very specific training. Um, and it you know was really positive for a lot of those athletes because their focus, they became just so focused, discipline got better, things like that. And then the games kind of come and go and the athletes are left with a feeling a lot of athletes have, feeling I had when, when I graduated from college and sports, organized sports were finished or even at the end of a season when you have to wait until the next season and I don't think it's any, our athletes are any different than, than other athletes in that it's just set that next goal. Take a breath to enjoy the time and, and set the next goal. And, and you may have seen, uh, we have an athlete here in Florida, Chris Nickich, who uh, just completed an Ironman. Um, and he was the first person with Down syndrome to do that. And he's a perfect example of that because every time he checks one goal off his list, he's focused on that next goal. So it's helping our athletes see what the possibilities are. And the next goal might not be an athletic goal. It might not be that they want to, uh, they got the silver medal in golf and they want to now train to get the gold medal, but maybe it's that they want to become a part of the planning committee. So we have athletes for every single sport that have applied and been selected to guide our planning for that sport to ensure that we have an athlete perspective on everything that we're doing. So sometimes for the athlete, it's okay, let's shift away from an athletic goal and focus on using their leadership skills to change the organization and guide the organization. So I think it's very similar to successful athletes in the mainstream. It's just constantly having something that you're working towards and training for. No, it's incredible. And, and yes, Chris running that, running that Ironman. I mean, just what a story, right? I think. Yeah. He's um, awesome. He's incredible. Yeah. I mean, thinking about the Ironman, like that's, I mean, that's just a, it's, it's a daunting task, right? It's, yeah. it's one of those that, you don't just wake up out of bed and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do an Ironman. Yeah. Um, I did well, that for the for, half marathon. That was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for Chris, this is just a perfect example of what we were just talking about. So he finishes the Ironman in Northwest Florida and immediately is talking about Kona. So the championships, the Ironman championships in Hawaii and has since been invited. So he's now training for literally the toughest race that there is within the triathlon world. Um, and without question, he's just now focused on that goal, moving on to the next thing um, with no hesitation of, is it something I can do? He just knows that he can do it because he'll put in the time um, and, and watching him. And he's been such a good example for a lot of our other athletes, just shattering barriers and perceptions. No, that's amazing. Um, let's finish up with some rapid fire. I, okay. I enjoy, I enjoy the rapid fire. We'll see where yeah. this goes. Okay. Um, most points you've scored in a game. Ooh probably 20 in high school, not in college. <laughs> <laughs> biggest, um, biggest lesson you learned from Elena. Um, dedication. She's one of the most dedicated athletes I've ever, ever been around and just relentless. If you could play a different sport in college, what would it have been? Volleyball. Okay. So let's take the volleyball one, one step further. What position would you have played? A setter. I was a setter in high school, so. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. Um, if there is one state that has, uh, you know, the the potential to host games, right, in the future, that you'd say, oh, wow, this, like, this would be a really cool setting. You mentioned Hawaii, right, with the Ironman. Yeah. yeah. But just, like, oh, this would be a really cool place for our athletes to experience. What would it be? 
I, I want to say Pittsburgh because that's where I'm from, but I don't think it's impressive to outsiders. Um, so I would probably say if it could be um, Hawaii would be cool. They've had games in LA. LA was awesome. Um, but if Hawaii sounds like a great idea and I'll, I'll be the first to volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, I'll be right there with you. Yeah. Uh, last, last question. Um, sport that, you've wanted to try for the longest time, but you just haven't done it yet. Golf. I've, I've been to a driving range, but I've never played nine holes and I would love to, especially now living in Florida. You almost have to. There you go. You got to get from the driving range to the course. Yeah, and, yeah. And then, and then it just keeps on coming uh, to, to get you back to the course. It's yeah. the game that never stops giving. So yeah, yeah. Megan, really appreciate your time, thoughts, uh, insights, and uh, certainly look forward to uh, watching the 2022 USA Games uh, for Special Olympics come together. Uh, I'm, I know it'll be definitely a unique and special moment. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Jake. This has been great.